Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 122. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Patrick Hong. Patrick, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm buckled up and my foot is on the pedal. Just show me the green flag. All right, here we go. Patrick Hong is a serial entrepreneur and an automotive enthusiast, and he's the founder and CEO of Pronostic. Pronostic is a public relations and marketing business, intelligence, cloud computing software platforms that helps organizations tie consumer response to results. He's passionate about any vehicle that goes fast, and he's the former executive editor of Road & Track magazine. And as an automotive rider, he's driven and tested numerous vehicles. He's competed in 24-hour driving competitions around the world, and he's flown in jet fighters and onboard zero-gravity vomit comet planes. He's earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and a master's degree in aerospace engineering, and he's always looking for ways to solve problems. He's an advocate of, and a strong believer in entrepreneurial spirit and lifelong learning that stimulates critical thinking and innovation. So, Patrick, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your business, your interest, and of course, your passion for automobiles? First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's a great pleasure to, to speak with you. You're welcome. So a little bit about my history, I suppose. Yes. I guess as a, uh, as a car enthusiast, uh, I always loved cars. In fact, I probably can attribute that to my dad, which not necessarily a car enthusiast, but he had imported cars to Taiwan where I was born. So I would go to the docks with him and pick up the car and drive it to the customer. That was before car companies had any uh, official presence in Taiwan. Wow. That was probably the start. And then throughout my high school, and I love to draw as well, so so I actually at one time wanted to become a car designer. Mm-hmm. And in college, in fact, I wanted to go to art center. But instead of going design first, I thought I want to study engineering. That's where the engineering came in because I want to figure out how things work inside in, dis- in addition to the outside. And then what came along was an opportunity at Road & Track magazine. They needed somebody to help test cars. Of course, I raised my hand and <laughs> said, 
pick me. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And I called them right away and had an interview, and luckily they, they picked me. So I was there for about 18 years. I would say if you read Road and Track, hopefully you still do, between, especially between 98 and 2005, all the performance numbers you see uh, in the magazine is me driving on the test track. Oh, what a so, life. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was a road test editor. And toward the end, I was the executive editor, and then my sort of interest to learn more things began on the more business side of the media, and I was able to attend uh, UCLA Anderson to get my MBA. So the joke is, because I have so many degrees in Southern California and different universities, mm -hmm. I can always say that I'm always on the winning team, no matter who <laughs> plays what. Very, very nice, very nice. <laughs> So, so that sort of started sort of this entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose, to right. trying to solve problems, trying to understand how marketing and PR, and I know there's so many things to do these days for anyone, a company or a media entity themselves. How do you quantify the effectiveness of all those touch points, be it online, offline, events, and does that actually quantitatively uh, contribute to a sale? And that's where sort of the the aha, uh, aha moment started, and, and that's where I am today, trying to help companies uh, quantify better their PR marketing activities. Well, before we get into some of the questions I always enjoy with my guests, could you tell us a little bit more about this business that you started? Because it's really interesting to me having a marketing background and definitely for companies trying to figure out how effective are they with all these touch points that we have these days Pronostic, tell us a little bit about that company. So Pronostic is a predictive analytic tool. Basically, as I mentioned a little bit before, it takes all your upstream marketing activities and quantitatively detect patterns that actually correlates to your sales revenue. So for anyone, your sales data is probably one number you keep track pretty well because it's basically your bank account and you need to earn money and pay people out of that. Right. So that's probably the most accurate reference point you have. Mm -hmm. So Im imagine that as sort of a reference pattern in which you look all your upstream activities through. So the, the software itself actually look at all your marketing activity patterns and see which one that matches your revenue pattern the best and then build a prediction model based on that. It's a data mining, sort of this uh, recent trend of big data challenge that we have because there's so much data being uh, uh, collected over time that try to help companies understand what it is about, the knowledge insight, and also relate to something they can act upon. Very cool. Well, we'll let our guests know a little later in the show how they can reach you and find out more about your company, actually, and, and this startup and how it all works. But I always like to start our talks and our journey with you with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. You've had such a fun life, especially with road and track. And as our listeners being car guys, you mean you got paid to go out and drive cars <laughs> fast and, and give us your opinion on them? That's a dream job. This is a great way to get our inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So you're so comfortable with this. Patrick, take the wheel. Thank you. So as I mentioned, I am a big life learner in my engineering background. And people say engineers are not supposed to know how to write, which then I became a writer for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then as a writer to the business side, I know from in the past as a journalist and an editor, you know, the business side, all you guys are just writers, creative guys. They don't know how to run a business. Yeah, yeah. So this life learner, I really take it to heart. And and I really believe in lifetime, lifelong learning. Recently, I found one that 
there's somebody that says that, which relates to the automotive in- industry, which is Henry Ford. He said that anyone who stops learning is old, whether at 80 or 20, the greatest thing in life is to keep your mind young. Mm. So I didn't learn the live learning part from the quote itself, but I wanted to look for something the famous and I said that as well. And luckily the Henry Ford also the say the same thing. So I really a strong believer in that. Well, Henry Ford has, there's so many great quotes I love about Henry Ford. And that is a new one to me. I really love that. I know the answer to this because I know you, but maybe you can share with our listeners, how have you incorporated that concept of that quote into your business and your life and in your passion for cars? I would say I love to learn. And the reason why I believe I think I'm passionate about learning is simply because I'm probably because I'm interested in so many different things. And I focus around cars because there's so much about cars I can learn, I want to learn. From the design aspect, from the styling, then you're talking about consumers' opinion on what think you know. I look at cars, obviously as a machine, but also as a work of art. Not only from the sort of engineering perspective, but also from the design, so sort of artistic side of uh, point of view. Sure. So when I want to do in cars, I want to learn everything about it. So it's probably a little bit more common now, but back then. When if you're a car designer, you didn't know as much about engineering as you should. But if you're an engineer, you probably don't appreciate or I mean know a little bit about design as well. So my thought was, at the time in college, was I want to do both. Mm-hmm. And so that was what's the first uh, checkpoint in terms of how I incorporate that in my career path. Well, I love it's left brain, right brain, all working as one <laughs> big happy brain. <laughs> So it's fantastic. I love that quote. That's fantastic. I'll add that one to my uh, my arsenal of great quotes, and I love it that it's from Henry Ford. Is there a moment in time that really instigated your passion for cars, that, that pivotal moment in life when you really knew you were a car guy? So I think, so obviously the, the going to to the dock with my dad was probably the seed of, of looking at cool cars. You get to play with all the stuff that's in the car and buttons. Yeah. Probably the, the really the aha moment to really solidify the car enthusiasm was when I was here in America driving again, I think with my family, maybe with my dad again, but it was at a, at a cross light, an intersection, where I saw a Lamborghini Countach oh. stop at the light on the, across the way. Mm-hmm. And when the light turned green and it moved as though, it, to me, like a spaceship floating, floating on the ground. Yes. Because it moved so fast and the shape of it, obviously, is very flat and wide. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that is such the coolest thing I ever saw. Yep. That's probably one of the, the defining moments where I really solidified my interest in cars. Well, and that's just such a fantastic car. I mean, those things were just, they were like spaceships on the ground. <laughs> really fun. I've heard that from many guests where that pivotal moment in their life was seeing a specific vehicle and just going, what is that? And yeah. that was the spark that got it all going. That's great. What I'd love to do now, Patrick, is go down some of the roads that you've driven and really crawl under the hood here and get our hands a little dirty and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you face in your career. But more importantly, how did you overcome that and what did you learn from it, being the lifelong learner that you are? So I'll actually go and say, you know, there's a sort of a, a saying that engineers are not are, are not really writers, which is true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So being an engineer, now working at Road & Track Magazine, uh, even though my, my initial job was tasked to test cars, eventually I, I needed to write. Mm-hmm. So learning how to write, 
was a challenge. So for a couple things, I think engineers write differently. So one, they may not know how to write as well, but the fact that we went through the went through college and education that we received, the writing style is a lot different than, let's say, magazine writing or writing for a consumer. Right. So one of the biggest challenges I had to get over was to write in a way that's give you more opinion, uh, your own opinion or your thoughts. But mm-hmm. in engineering, you're supposed to be as objective as possible. Right. So that's why technical writing tend to be very dry and boring to read. And mm-hmm. there's a reason for that, actually. Of course. But in, in magazine writing or consumer-facing uh, writing, you want to be more storytelling, be more a little bit informal, and obviously everybody wants to know your opinion. And so at Road and Track, I remember uh, my first story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I turn in, I you know, I work as hard as I can, turn it in, and usually it takes about a, a week or two before, uh, a couple of days before it comes around for you to do more edits and then goes back to the sort of a copying workflow. Yep. And after I first turned the first story, you know, it's been a week, and I said to my immediate boss at the time, and I said, so where's my story? And I said, well, we're working on it. Well, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> so as it turns out, it's probably, I would say, I'm not sure it's true or not, is at least in my, my career there, is the only story that I've ever seen that had two uh, bylines, mine and the person that did the final editing. <laughs> and let me tell you, the, the, the final copy that I printed didn't really sound a whole lot like what I wrote. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I understand the challenge there. You know, I'm married to an engineer. My wife's an engineer, and it's the same way. She has always said she can't write her way out of a paper bag and she, because she thinks like an engineer. My father's an architect, and they always banter each other with some fun about she says he has the rubber ruler. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, you design stuff, but it can't be built yeah, because yes. it's it's not engineered correctly, if you will. Even though my father's training was as a an engineer, that's back when architects trained that way. So I understand yeah. that tug-pull relationship. As you became a better writer, let's put it that way, how did you move into that? Because that had to be a big challenge. So as a life learner, then what I want to do is – is to learn why things are happening. Why why is the engineer writing not as as fitting as a magazine story? Mm-hmm. So my editor in chief at the time, Tom Bryant, was really good at helping me. So I basically went up to him and say, "How can I write better?" And obviously, like anything, you, know, you read more and just write more, mm-hmm. which which is very helpful. And that's a lot of big part of how I able to to write better. But that said, being engineer, I want to know exactly why. <laughs> sure, yeah. I want to, you know, point to why is this because you, writing afterwards, subsequent after eighteen years, I also know it's somewhat subjective as well. Of course, because whoever reads it, you know, there's obviously some minimal uh, standard or some uh, conventional wisdom that that makes a person a good writer. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's also very subjective. So Tom Bryan was very good at actually walking me through every story I wrote subsequently to point out things that may seem a little awkward or needs a little bit more work. Sure. So I learned through that process. Nice. Even though I may not, even though some of those comments are inconsistent, but after a while I began to see the common denominator, why the writing I need to, to work on and the ways to improve on that. So that mm-hmm. was good for me. Well, you've done a great job, Patrick, and I've been a lifelong reader of Road and Track Magazine and have read many, many, if not all, the articles that you've written, and you've definitely done a fantastic job. So you learned well, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. did a great job. I always enjoyed reading your stories, and 
wish that I was in the car with you. <laughs> although, <laughs> although in a way, you brought me there with the way you wrote your story. Thank so you. great job. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share an aha moment in your career. And you, you alluded to it a bit in the introduction when you talked about your new company. And maybe that's what you'd like to talk about, which would be great. But this is a time when you realized that your idea, your concept, really had some merit. And then tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success. I would say it's kind of funny that now looking back, I mean, your question is really interesting to me, to looking back to, to, to see my, for myself even for the first time. You know, I went from engineer, as a tra- uh, engineer at, by training, went to become a writer, now being working on the startup company. Even though they seem to be all over the place a little bit, but underneath, I think there's that common denominator of trying to solve problems. So mm-hmm. As an engineer, you want to solve problems. As a writer, you want to solve the problem, how you tell the story better to the audience so that they can come along on the ride with you. So this aha moment probably is solving the problem of maybe on something that's even, people would say, unsolvable, meaning most people will say trying to understand your marketing and PR and how it can exactly or quantitatively relate to revenue is nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. So what I say to that is, okay, it's not easy, but I want to take on that challenge. Right. So so as an engineer, you know, you're taught to solve, you have physics, you have formulas that you want to design rocket ships, mm-hmm. and you work a way to do that. And machines are physically defined entities, objects, because they behave consistently time over time. Right. But human beings, you know, dealing with all the marketing and PR folks talking to you, all the consumer touch points, human beings are not logical, as my wife will say times. <laughs> yeah, I concur. So, so to apply my traditionally classically trained, you know, physics formula to consumer behavior probably doesn't work. And in fact, I would say that, you know, psychiatry hasn't figured that out either, I suppose. Sure. So this aha moment about my business probably is the culmination of all the experience, engineering, trying to solve problems, now working at road and track, dealing with how to, to get the consumer to read my story better. That doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. So when I was sitting in my UCLA Anderson MBA class, going my statistics class, you know, statistics, I always thought, oh, it's a bunch of means and averages, and then you take whatever mm-hmm. from that. But as I learned more into it, there was a case study that was done at the time trying to understand how you pick the best franchise location for a fast food restaurant, for example. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, trying to understand all the factors, you have the local demographics, you have local traffic, the square foot you know, costs in terms of the to, to rent the place. You start to having all these variety of factors that need to be considered all together in context. And in many ways, that's the same way that we have to think about when we try to market to consumers. They have all these different things that consumers are dealing with all the time, not just either the cheapest price you're offering or even the, the best product feature you're trying to sell it. They have all these other environmental factors that need to be put in context. Mm-hmm. And I guess, this, to me, statistic is a way to address that, which is so different than, than what I th- classically train as math, you know, like calculus and linear algebra right and so that's probably an aha moment and say maybe i can take this mathematics driven which is sings better to me as an engineer to solve a creative or, or, or a marketing problem that usually is very difficult to do fascinating it's really really interesting 
How about a proudest moment in your career? Was there a, a time, I'm sure you had many, but maybe one that just stands out? You know, I would say because I'm not a, a, a writer by training, nor do I think, I, I know they are really good writers. The, the writing comes so effortless, and I know when I read them. So the proudest moment in my career at Road and Track was somebody comes up to me and say, I really love the story. Hmm. And, and that's a really makes me feel Good now because I, I wrote an interesting story, but the way I able to write it, which is something that, that I worked hard to do uh, every time I put a story together at Road and Track. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was great for me. And now for my business, as anything, if you created something, it's always an honor to somebody said they actually want to pay for it. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. So it's like, you know, you know, it's like, you know, raising raising your kids and, and they go through certain milestones in their life and you're proud of that reach their 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 milestone. So in my career, especially as an entrepreneur now, is somebody actually want to buy your product. Yes. I understand 100%. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car and maybe you could share a memory you had with that vehicle? My first special, there's probably a couple. Mm-hmm. So I would say one is, I forget what the, maybe it was a 80, 80, so the 80s is probably not a great decade for cars, mm. I would have to say. Tough, yeah, tough decade. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always say that I'm, I'm either born too late for the muscle car and too early for the import tuners crowd. Yes. <laughs> so 80s to me is the lost decade for car enthusiasm. Yeah. Anyhow, so the important car, so in high school, I borrowed my sister's car, which is a, I believe it was an 86 or 89 Pontiac Grand Am. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not so much a car that's important, but it's the sort of experience, life experience during that time. I took uh, my wife, or now my wife, but then back then high school sweetheart to, uh, on a date. So that was meaningful fr- from that p- point of view. So, and then the, the other car, was my own car college it was a 1990 acura integra mm-hmm. and i loved that car and my family my parents and even my wife now will make fun of me because i take so much time cleaning i would clean every single inch of the car with a toothbrush <laughs> yeah i can relate and you know that about me <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i love t- keeping a car looking perfect and clean that's great how about seller's remorse is there a vehicle that you've had that you sold that you really wish you could have it back probably the integra the integra yeah yeah because i, I love the car so much because my first my own car and i really really took care of it and the reason I had to sell it because kids were coming. <laughs> yes, boy, how many times have I heard that? <laughs> and then, but luckily, I sold it to a friend, and so I was able to keep an eye on it for a bit. But that said, I, I, I don't think I've had any car since, or even driving any car since, as clean as that car. Yeah, well, and just a little heads up here because I'm a little bit your senior. The next thing about kids that's coming is college. <laughs> ah, yes. Then you got to sell more stuff. Yeah, yeah. Been there, done that too. But uh, the things we do for our children, it's all worthwhile. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, I would say, well, it's a couple things. Obviously, first and foremost is my business. Mm-hmm. And, and to really develop the product and continue to develop product and to wear many hats now as a as an entrepreneur because in the corporate world, small or big you at least have some help and your 
you get paid the yes. next day whether things happen or not. Yep. As an entrepreneur, if you don't work, if you don't wear multiple hats from marketing sales yourself to product development to making uh, the networking accounts payable, receivable, it's all you. <laughs> yep, I understand. That's so, why I have no hair on my head. It, it's all rubbed <laughs> off from all the hats I've worn. So that is something I'm passionate about to really make a go at it and really push hard to do so. There's definitely ups and downs of days where you think, oh, my gosh, what am I doing this? Or what am I putting my whole family at risk, obviously, financially Mm -hmm. to do this? And there's ups days where, you know, people call you and say, yeah, we would love to to do this. And and can I speak to your accounts receivable? And I say, hold on, let me. Hold on. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) This is accounts receivable. (laughs) Yeah. So, So that's fun. But. Second to that, at Road and Track, I enjoy writing, actually. And, and writing, totally from engineer, is that writing gives you more freedom to, for, of expression. Mm-hmm. As an engineer, you're always looking for the answer. But in writing, there isn't that one answer. Right. So writing to me now is actually very relaxing, in, in, in meaning that I get to find angles that, that I like and then write about it. And that's kind of cool. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, many of our listeners here on Cars Yard are entrepreneurs, wantrepreneurs, sidepreneurs, autopreneurs. I mean, they wear a lot of different hats, and uh, many of the things you're sharing with us today all strike a chord with people who are trying to do their own thing. It, it's ups and downs. It's a big roller coaster ride, but at the end, it's exhilarating and fun, and you, you come into the end of the ride, and you go, okay, let's do that again. so that's fantastic. Now, here's a funny question for you, Patrick. If you were a car... What kind of car would Patrick be and why? Wow. I would say I, I like – I would want to be a Porsche 959. Ooh, that's a unique car. Yes. And the reason why I would say that is because Porsche 959, again, grew up in, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. They weren't that cool. I mean there's a lot of cool supercars like Porsche 959, but but the, the more consumer mass market car wasn't that exciting. So Porsche 959 was a standout among the crowd as well. In addition, it was such a, a car ahead of its time, meaning all the technology that went with it, from its cool all-wheel drive system, the, in the torque distribution now, it's more common now in mass, uh, market cars. The adaptive suspension where it has active aero to adjust for, for aerodynamics, efficiency, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It was such ahead of its time that, that I really gravitated to it, towards that. So I, I love the fact that there's companies like Porsche and other ones to want to stay ahead of the technology and to drive the innovation forward. And, and I try to do that myself is to look at what's coming, always look at what's coming and can I get there too. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great choice for how you described yourself because the Porsche 959 was that combination of beautiful design, very unique design, taking a package that existed with that 911 and combining it with that super technology. So there again is Patrick with his creative side and his <laughs> his engineering side. So uh, that's a great choice. I was wondering what you were going to choose there. Okay, Patrick, we're entering what I call the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you're buckled up, Hamilton, ready to go? I am. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Probably when I was going through my racing school days early on in my career. And I think this applies to life as well. They always tell you, look ahead. So look ahead and we're driving fast. Look ahead and we're driving on the road. And I think I think it also applies, look ahead and when you're in your life, is to always 
look what's coming and, and be ready to to look for the adventures in them. I love that. You know, I went through racing school as well, and that heads up, heads up, heads up. Same with motorcycle riding yes. safety course, heads up, heads <laughs> up. And there's a great quote that I love by Ayrton Senna: "The past is just data. I only see the future." <laughs> That's right. He's always oh, yes, got his absolutely. head. He always got his head up, looking way down the track. Yep. So yep. I love yep. it. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? You know, I hate to you know beat the drum again, but I think it's really life learning, mm-hmm. and that really helped me in many things because it allows me to adapt to the current situation, whatever that may be, even. In career rise from traditional publishing to sort of digital revolution in digital media, even in personal life, when you're getting married, we have kids, adapt to having kids. Mm-hmm. What what do you need to know to do that? You know, nobody, there's no manual how to be a father, uh, how to be a parent, but you sort of take it as it comes and just learn as much about it and make the best decision you have given the, the, the situation at the point in time. So it's always look ahead again. Yep, lifelong learning. That's absolutely paramount. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website that you frequent or it's a blog that you get? Well, you know, I'm at the end of the day, I'm a, a big, just a Google search fan mm-hmm. because it, it really opens up a lot of things. And for me now, obviously, Road and Track, you know, it's a great resource as find anything car information. But there's other websites that are car related. I mean, you're talking about all the big uh, traditional car magazine websites, car and driver, more, uh, motor trends, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But for me now, you know, it's actually very easy, and Google, that's why Google is a successful company. Yeah. You can find virtually anything you want just starting out by Google. And personally, I, because of the situation now, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn and Twitter mm, yeah. uh, because I've met so many interesting people through LinkedIn yep. and Twitter as well. You know, I try to to sort of have a conversation with whoever wants to connect with me, so I know a little bit about the other person. And if they respond, then I'll accept. If they don't, then I actually ignore it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, good way to go. How about books? Is there a book that you've read in the past or recently? And if you had to just pick one that you really enjoyed that you would share with the Cars Yeah listeners, I would point to a book called Freakonomics. Freakonomics. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really car related. It's okay. But it's really underpins maybe my varying path of my career and different things mm-hmm. to what I'm doing now. It's a book by Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt. It's a, a fairly well-known book in, in, in on the business side, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It talks about understanding consumers, understanding people, how they act, not from necessary psychiatry or, or anything consumer behavior or human behavior point of view it's just by influences what are the incentives for companies or mm. for people to do certain things and one thing they talk about few cases comparing the common denominators from teachers and and sumo wrestlers mm-hmm. what are the incentive they actually have to want to cheat which is kind of interesting they they take different situation would you would think never comparable and boil down things that, that actually are uh, common denominators for that, for both. Oh, sounds like a great book. I'll get my yeah. hands on that. Love it. How about interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I love to cook. Ah, okay. <laughs> In fact, uh, after my engineering, before my, my graduate uh, degree in aerospace and engineering, I 
almost uh, I've got I almost went to a culinary school in San Francisco. Wow. Okay. Very. <laughs> so, that's something new I learned about you today. <laughs> that's great. And and I love to cook. And maybe it's this idea of learning and solve problems. But I love to eat. So maybe I love. That's why I love to. <laughs> of course. Well, but, I'll make sure uh, I'm over for dinner. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a plan. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these resources at carsyad.com slash Patrick Hong. All right, Patrick, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for car enthusiasts like you. Or maybe it's easy. We'll see. (laughs) If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something that you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, so that little trick is off the table. But money's no object. Today, I'm Santa Claus. I'm going to buy you whatever you would like. What would that car be and why? Boy, that's a really hard question. And I obviously had the opportunity as a road track to drive a variety of cool cars from inexpensive ones to, to the most exotic possible. Right. We have to pick one. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Um, the McLaren F1. Oh, okay. What, what is it about that car that you just love? So much like the Porsche 959, which Porsche 959 and McLaren F1, I go back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but McLaren F1, I had a special, uh, and that was sort of the car I had the poster of in my room mm-hmm. next to the Porsche 959. Yeah. But the reason the F1 was such a unique, or, or it means so much to me, one is again like the 959. It was such ahead of its time. It was built as a supercar out of one person's dream. Mm-hmm. So I had an opportunity to drive that car, which is made very special to me, but also had the opportunity to work with Gordon Murray, which is one of my heroes in mm. the automotive world. Wow. And it was kind of cool to be able to talk to him and, and you know, as a, as a road and track guy and work with him on a few projects. And he's the nicest guy in the world. And one thing I always remember of what he said, in fact, two things. When he first called me back on my voicemail, I left the voicemail for a long time. And yeah. <laughs> just because, hey, you know, that's Gordon Murray that exactly. I read about. Yeah. But two, he, he said to me, and I always ask him, you know, how did you come up with the F1? And, it, and he said, you know, it's actually easy for me because I had unlimited resources. I had unlimited, mo- unlimited budget, and I didn't have to design the car to a price point. Uh, okay. And so he designed, you know, the inside and the outside, which is sort of what I wanted to do. Yeah. But two, he said it, that was easy because it's harder for he, in his opinion, it's harder to design, a, let's say, a Toyota Camry than McLaren F1 because as a Toyota Camry, you have to have a price point, you have constraints right. that you can't do uh, as much. Uh, you have to abide by in a Camry, but in F1, you can really do anything you want. So I guess because of all those reasons, the F1 really has a special meaning, and I still think it's one of the the defining super cars of the world even today compared to all the modern ones. Well, absolutely. And that means a lot coming from a guy who's driven so many cars and analyzed so many cars as you have. So great choice. Wonderful vehicle. Patrick, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories and catching up with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and me. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that McLaren F1? <laughs> Well, you know, live life to the fullest, you know, keep your foot on the throttle and and learn as much as you can. Yep. Perfect. Sounds great to me. Listeners, again, you can learn about everything that Patrick has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Patrick Hong. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about your new company and you? 
Well, being a Google fan, and because I've written so many stories in the past and a little bit now, you can probably just type in Patrick Hong in a Google search bar. And you can type in Road and Track or even find me on LinkedIn. It's very pretty easy to spot me. And how about with Pronostic? Do you have a website? Yes. Okay. So you can look at uh, www.pronostic.com. All right. And I'll make sure that's up on your show notes page so everybody can find out what you're doing and get involved with it. It is absolutely intriguing. And I wish you the best of success there. I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.